Weirdom. Revelation by and through the mind of an infant. Chapter 2, verses 1 through the end of chapter 2. Chapter 2. My Mormon formed mind. My Mormon formed mind. My Mormon formed mind. What was that? That's a pattern in my brain. When I was little, I had a Fisher-Price record player that was all made out of plastic. The records were plastic and they had these little grooves with what looked like braille. These little indentations and they would they would be on this plastic turntable that I could turn on as long as there were batteries in it. And it would spin around and there would be a little needle that would run over the top of these grooves and it would make music. This patterns, tones. I I had some of these braille-like patterns imprinted on my brain. I'd stand up. I remember the very first time I did this. I was probably four or five years old. And my parents took me up to bear my testimony. Actually, I think I did it. No, I was with, I was with my dad. He was standing on my side. And I'd never been up on the podium before. I'd sat in church. I'd sat on those long rows. I'd looked up and I'd seen the bishop and the counselors and the speakers and everybody who would be up there at the, at the pulpit. But this was my first time being up there, and I was very young, and I, I looked, and I saw how big and long the, the room was, the uh, cultural hall. Curtains had been opened up, the partitions, so I could see all the way back past that magnificent Mormon basketball court that seems to be the heart of every chapel, as it should be, <laughs> with the stage at the end. and. My dad told me what to say. I'd like to bear my testimony. I know the church is true. I love my mom. I love my dad. I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet. I know that President Spencer W. Kimball is a prophet. I know that my Heavenly Father loves me. These things I say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And the congregation called. But as I stood up there for the very first time and I spoke the first word, I'd like to, I heard my voice echo. I'd never spoken into a microphone in such a big room before and heard my voice echo back to me. And 
I have this very visceral memory of stopping because I thought that there was another kid who was also bearing his testimony that was speaking the same time that I was, that was standing on the opposite end, on that stage at the far end of the cultural hall. And my dad had to prompt me, and to, but I didn't believe him. I'm like, no, I can hear, I can hear. I didn't realize it was the echoes of my own voice that I was hearing. Just like I don't realize now that so many of the thoughts that I have and the feelings that I have are echoes from past experiences. Echoes of everything I've ever experienced. Because this is something that's just absolutely fascinating that I've learned about the brain. It's a sponge for information. And the way that information comes into our brains through our sensory organs. You know, I, I won't bore you with the details of how light hits the outside of your eye and is converted. These are photons that are converted through this biologically evolved mechanism to become this bioelectronic data that travels through an optic nerve into a certain region of the brain and it's processed like like a sausage maker <laughs> like all these little bits of data billions trillions of bits of data that get processed through a brain that is formed in part in large part from the genetic blueprint that's in the nucleus of every cell of our body that says all right cells you go to this region you become this and it sets up all of the organs and all of the systems in the body and so I've got this nice biologically evolved hardware that then starts running the software of every experience I've ever experienced whether I'm conscious of it or not from the moment that that brain started forming in my mind as I was still in my mother's womb it was recording data it was recording sensations and those sensations along with everything that's ever been recorded whether something that I've seen something that I've heard something that I've felt something that I have intuited a thought that I've thunk a feeling that I felt my own emotions, times where I got really upset because of something that was going on around me, times where I got really excited by something that I wanted. All of that is part of the software that runs my brain. It runs my perception of the world. And so much of that was formed in those Mormon chapels, along with that little boy that was standing up there that still to this day has this pattern in his brain that goes da 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 You know there's another one that I learned when I was a, a teenager. Let's see if you get this one. Da 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 that they may witness unto thee, O God, the Eternal Father, and always remember him, and keep his spirit to be with them 
forever. Amen. Or something like that. And then the bishop looks over to let you know if the way that your brain recorded that sensory data and then expressed it was correct or not. As if there is a correct way to engage this software and hardware that we didn't do. I, I, I mean, that's an interesting conundrum, isn't it? Who grew my brain? Did I grow my brain? Was it grown for me? Who created that hardware? It was really created through hundreds of billions of years of evolution. I mean, you could go all the way back to the Big Bang if that's the start, or if there's something that precedes the Big Bang, that there's this energy that creates life and has this deep desire and yearning to express itself. And that energy is in me, and that energy is in you. That energy is me, that energy is you. As expressed through the genetics that forms the hardware, and then the environment around me, all of my surroundings that form the software. Am I really responsible for that? Or am I just responsible for watching it? For observing it, for recognizing it for what it is, for accepting it for what it is? Is that truth? Is my genuine, true reaction to things based upon my specific genetic makeup? You know, DNA testing is more accurate than fingerprinting. So everybody's got a unique genetic makeup, and everyone has even more unique software from the environments that we've been in. No one has been in the situations that I've been in, at the times I've been in them, in the sequence that I've been in them. Every single life is this unique, precious jewel that has grown out of this planet. Even dogs that are in heat and really feel a strong emotional attachment to their male owner and are just dying to be loved. They're not going to be, not in that way. The word of weirddom is about expressing the thoughts that I think. What happens when my hardware and my software come together to express the unique way that I see the world? That might seem weird to others who haven't experienced the world the way that I have. It would be absolutely ridiculous of me to expect that anybody else sees, understands, agrees, validates every single experience, every single thought that I've ever had. But that shouldn't stop me from sharing it. Because who knows, you might find some value in it, even if you don't agree with it, even if it doesn't match your experience. And these things I say at the end as I am calling out for a wise white owl with two green eyes and one blue to provide further light and knowledge on the path to weirddom.
Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.